Hi friends, Fred Harrell here. Thanks for tuning in to the weekly City Church Sermon Podcast. Just a note that as we continue to shelter in place here in San Francisco, we will be bringing you our Sunday Sermon audio recording via Skype over a Facebook Live broadcast. So if the audio quality seems like a little lower than normal, then now you know what's happening. We just wanted you to know. You can join us on Facebook Live each Sunday at 10 a.m. Thanks for listening and subscribing to our podcast. The scripture reading today is from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 9, verse 35, to chapter 10, verse 23. Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Then Jesus summoned his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to cure every disease and every sickness. These are the names of the twelve apostles. First, Simon, also known as Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the Cananean, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, proclaim the good news. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You received without payment. Give without payment. Take no gold or silver or copper in your belts, no bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff. For laborers deserve their food. Whatever town or village you enter, find out who in it is worthy, and stay there until you leave. As you enter the house, greet it. If the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet as you leave that house or town. Truly I tell you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. See, I am sending you out like sheep into the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of them, for they will hand you over to councils and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings because of me as a testimony to them and the Gentiles. When they hand you over, do not worry about how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you at that time. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. And children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all because of my name. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I tell you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. The Word of the Lord. Let us pray. Gracious God, we ask now that you would meet us here this morning. Help us to clear away any distractions. Help us to hear your voice. 
Help us to have open hearts, to be receptive to whatever it is you want us to hear today, to trust, to surrender to. Help us to know that you see us right now in all of our complexity and all of our beauty and all of our fragmentation. And your response is always to move towards us, to redeem, restore, heal, and renew. Help us to believe that you have seen to it that this moment right now is happening. So help us to be present to your presence, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Frederick Douglass said, if there is no struggle, there is no progress. Those who profess to favor freedom and yet deprecate agitation are people who want crops without plowing up the ground. They want rain without thunder and lightning. They want the ocean without the awful roar of its many waters. This struggle may be a moral one, or it may be a physical one, or it may be both moral and physical, but it must be a struggle. Power concedes nothing without a demand. By the way, if you haven't read David Blight's masterful biography of Frederick Douglass, it's never too late to do the right thing. I start this way today because in order to understand this passage, you have to understand how much good trouble, as Congressman John Lewis calls it, Jesus was in leading up to this passage. How much plowing up of the ground Jesus was doing in chapters 8 and 9. The ground of injustice and the ground of exclusion. I mean, if we just go back to chapter 8, we see Jesus starting with healing lepers who were social outcasts, who had a place to take their grievances, by the way, which was the temple. So this was actually Jesus challenging directly the temple authorities. Then we see the healing of the centurion's son. A centurion was a Roman soldier with a hundred underneath him, thus the name centurion. He was, in this culture, an ethnic outcast in many ways, and really the first indication that Gentiles will join the movement a story of leveling social status. Then there's a woman that Jesus heals who's considered inferior. Then in chapter 9, a lame man telling the man to take heart, someone who would have been marginalized due to his disability as disabled people are today. Then the dreaded tax collectors were next. Jesus was not afraid to be associated with people who were understandably despised politically for enabling the oppressive occupation of Roman soldiers. To that person, Jesus said, they need a physician too. Then we might say the rich, because a leader in the synagogue comes to him with a desperate plea to intervene in the death of his daughter. It was a common tragedy in Jesus' day. Nearly half of all children died before they reached the age of five. Nearly half of all children died before they reached the age of five in Jesus' day. So the rich man is humble. He falls to the feet of Jesus. As the poor were doing so as well, the man of privilege is now embodying the plight of the poor. Paula Darcy says that God comes to you disguised as your life, and that happened to this man. And in the midst of that, a woman, again, this time with a flow of blood, making her life a living hell and ostracized by her community, and Jesus heals her. Next is two blind men healed, then a demon exercised out of a person. Do you understand what's going on? Chapters 8 and 9, all these things have been happening. And after all of this, when he saw the crowds, Jesus says, it says, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. If you ever wonder how Jesus feels about people who are oppressed, who are harassed, 
and helpless? You can be sure that the answer is Jesus feels compassion. Compassion. In Michael uh, Joseph Brown commentary on Matthew, he says, the Messiah overcomes the difficulties that often stigmatize our lives. The Messiah practiced inclusion. In the new community created by Jesus, the social boundaries that marked one group as insiders as another as outsiders are redrawn so that all are insiders. When Jesus proclaimed he had compassion on the crowds, he had been practicing compassion for a long time. That's important to remember. The practicing of compassion is the very stoking of compassion inside of you. Because there you feel the pain, the loss, the cry for justice. These were not abstract concepts to Jesus. They are people with names and stories that he took the time to hear. And that changes everything. What Jesus had was proximity. If we're to have the power of Jesus' compassion in our lives, we must get proximate as well proximate to suffering, to understand the nuanced experiences of those who suffer and experience inequality. We must be proximate to change the false narratives that fall, that fail to accurately portray the reality of inequality and only serve to perpetuate it, perpetuate it, perpetuate it. I can't speak. As Brian Stevenson of Just Mercy fame, a film and book that you must read, said, you cannot be an effective problem solver from a distance. There are details and nuances to problems that you will miss unless you are close enough to observe those details. If you are willing to get closer to people who are suffering, you will find the power, I would say the courage as well, to change the world. In fact, if you get close enough, you won't be able to help yourself but to be involved. You won't be able to remain silent. Silence is often a, a factor because you are, not, you are not proximate to the problem. As a result of proximity, Jesus was able to see and feel and hear their pain, their plight, their desperation. I mean, the word harassed can be translated oppressed, and the word helpless can be translated thrown on the ground. Jesus stood in solidarity with people who were being oppressed and thrown away as trash. And when you do the same, you are actually mimicking Jesus. And it got him in trouble. And it will get you in trouble. He sends his disciples out to do this same, to take up the same ministry, to share his power. Jesus was a power sharer, not holder. And he shared his power with his disciples, but the power he shared with them was the power of compassion. To share that to those, to be proximate to those on the margins. Because what's afflicting them is more than just unjust policy, though not less than that. What's afflicting them is elsewhere, is what is elsewhere called the powers and principalities. And what Jesus calls here, unclean spirits. So you may bristle at that thought, perhaps. Maybe that gives you a little 
PTSD for some of you from really conservative church past like mine. Maybe you were treated like you had an unclean spirit because you were different, because you were LGBTQ, or because you went against the party line in your family system, or you dared to disagree with the established tradition in some way, or you got yourself caught shoplifting or rooting for the Seahawks, whatever it might be. I get that, but you can't ignore unclean spirits. Jesus was all about it, casting them out. And like every single place he visited, he engaged in that. I think if we look past the hurtful ways that the idea of unclean spirits may have been used to hurt you or control you, we might have another way of talking about oppressive systems and the power they have to say, keep a country from repenting for 400 years of the way it has treated people of color. Must be pretty powerful. I don't have the most sophisticated demonology worked out in my head even after years of traversing the spiritual landscapes with thousands of people. It's a mystery to me, but here's what I do know. I do believe and have experience that there are things in our lives that make us do things we do not want to do. St. Paul in Romans 7, in a passage we can all relate to, whether we are Christians or not, said, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Raise your hand if you can identify with that. There are factors and dynamics and pathologies that we feel ourselves powerless over when we're honest. Things we can always see that are affecting us and others in negative and sometimes deadly ways, like the unclean spirit of greed that enslaves people far from our shores so that we can have unlimited access to disposable products that we don't really even need. I mean, all injustice, I would make the case, is driven by an unclean spirit. Nadia Bowles Weber puts it this way in a sermon from a few years ago that is sadly still timely only change the name mentioned. Do we actually believe that there isn't an evil that still permeates a society whose wealth and power come from the genocide of native people and the enslavement of African people just for the benefit of European, European people? Like spiritually, that kind of evil just goes away in a generation or two? Friends, it is an unclean spirit that allows for the criminalization of skin color. And this demon of white supremacy tries to blind me from the, all the ways my life is made easier by accident of birth. And the truth is, the evil spirit that protects me from every single day is the same one that allows for Philando Castile to be shot dead for nothing more than driving while black and further to be no legal ramifications for the man who shot him dead. And for this, I feel such powerlessness and shame, and I have no idea where the healing starts. Again, sadly, that's a quote from a few years ago. The names need nearly to be changed to Ahmad Arbery, to this week, Rayshard Brooks, Breonna Taylor. So as Jesus looked over the crowds of people who were the victims of unclean spirit oppressions, he didn't look out and see blame. 
He didn't say, well, you know, they could have made better choices here or there, and maybe their lot in life would be different. He didn't see blame. He saw need. And the only source of authority over this need is compassion, which is, as I said, what he gave his disciples to exercise and us. Oppression is the only vector for healing that we are given the authority to exercise. Compassion is the only vector for healing that we are given the authority to exercise, not judgment. And there's a place for judgment, actually, for accountability and amends to be made and so on, but not for the work of healing, for the work of casting out demons, of freeing from the unclean spirits of oppression. I think Jesus sees the harm in the ways that unclean spirits demean everyone they touch and cause us another's harm. And his response is compassion to see the healing begin. It's how you've been healed, I'll bet, in your life. What is your struggle with today? Alcoholism? Racism? Perfectionism? Greed? Self-loathing? Gluttony? What is the unclean spirit that you feel powerless over today? If Jesus comes at you right now, and maybe you should imagine Jesus coming to you right now, and he comes to you with judgment, telling you that you were bad, that you could be good if you just tried harder, if you just got it together, that you're kind of pathetic, how much healing do you feel from that? Now imagine Jesus coming to you with compassion. Nothing but compassion. He sees it all. He sees the hurt, the struggle, the sleepless nights, the feeling of being less than others. And he says to you, you are not your struggle. You are not less than. You're not any of those harmful messages that you have heard. You are beautiful. And you are the beloved child of God. How much feeling healing do you feel now? That's how you've experienced any measure of healing in your life. You're un- Clean spirits are not a life sentence. When met with judgment, denial, resistance, and shame are normally the result. Maybe Jesus knew what he was talking about when he told us not to judge. But when met with compassion, we are filled with relief, rest, hope. So Jesus turns the disciples loose into the region to unleash the power of compassion. Because compassion is the only thing that makes God believable. Debbie Thomas in her Journey with Jesus blog put it this way, to make God believable here and now is to stand in the hot white center of the world's pain, not just to glance in the general direction of suffering and injustice and then slide away, but to dwell there to identify ourselves wholly with those who are aching, weeping, and dying. In the case of America's long-standing racial crisis, 
Making Christ credible means moving beyond denial, beyond willful ignorance, and beyond the band-aid approach of thoughts and prayers. It means deciding as grateful followers of a brown man who died at the hands of brutal law enforcement 2,000 years ago that we will not tolerate the demon of racism in our midst for one more generation. I wanna say one more thing today that will get me into some more good, I hope, good trouble. (laughs) Jesus says something that gets under our skin in verse five. He tells his disciples as he sends them out, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. What's up with that? On one hand, commentators will say, well, look, Jesus is not ta- is just talking about those crowds in view right now, and they were all poor Jewish folks. Okay. But I'm going to say something that sounds heretical, but I promise you it's 100% orthodox. Jesus was still understanding the breadth of his mission. What? You know, we make such a big deal over Jesus being divine that we forget about the important lesson that he was also human. It's both and. It's a mystery. Don't try to measure it. He knows the entirety of the human experience. He got hungry. He got thirsty. He got tired. He felt the feels. He knew the emotions of being cut to the heart by his disciples' unfaithfulness. The blindness of a city and the death of his friend made him weep. The agony of impending doom in the garden, he understands that. Feeling God forsaken in his greatest time of need. And Jesus asked questions just like everyone else. Where is Lazarus' body? How many loaves do you have? What's the name of this possessed man? And when asked the day and hour of his coming again, he said he doesn't know. Only the Father knows. And that has to do with his redemptive work directly. And all of this is good news because Jesus experienced fully the human experience, which is why he is a high priest who sympathizes with our weaknesses. So I posit the following. See what you think. The healing of the centurion's son notwithstanding Jesus is still restricting the spreading of the good news to his own race. Yet five chapters later, from the Canaanite woman, Canaanite margins of Jesus' society came to challenge that the gospel could no longer be the exclusive property of one ethnic group, but available for all to believe. And he would learn this from a Gentile woman who came asking for her daughter to be healed. Her faith was so impressive that Jesus said, woman, how great is your faith. Now, before you want to throw cyber stones at me for suggesting that Jesus was learning about the expansiveness of God's reign he was announcing, remember the writer of Hebrews, very important book in the Bible in regards to Jesus' humanity. The writer of Hebrews said Jesus learned obedience. And who did he learn this obedience from? The passage says he learned it from suffering. And it wasn't just his suffering. It was his suffering through the suffering of others. 
they were his teachers as well because he took the time to hear their stories and listen to them. I believe this is why Jesus at the end of his ministry in his last days on earth said he had more to teach his disciples, but they weren't ready to hear it. But that the spirit, she would lead them into deeper truth. The truth about the expansiveness of God's love for people of every conceivable category. Miguel A. De La Torre, a scholar of Cuban birth and heritage, now professor at Illiff School of Theology, said in his book, Reading the Bible from the Margins, Jesus learned something about his mission from this woman. By the end of his ministry, when he gives the Great Commission, he commands his followers to go out to all nations, not just the people of Israel. And then he says this, Now, if Jesus is willing to learn something from the margins of society, shouldn't his church be willing to do likewise? Last thing I want to say today, Jesus doesn't just see them. Jesus sees you. He sees you. You are the crowd. You are the crowd that's harassed and helpless, who he looks upon with compassion today. Can you begin to believe that? Maybe that's the one thing that this entire service is about, is you hearing and believing that that compassion that you read about is the compassion that he has for you as well. Because you are in so much stress and sorrow today. You are wondering if there will ever be an end to this pandemic. You are wondering if your family will ever fully embrace you and love you. You are wondering if you will ever get your career back. You are wondering if you can make it. You are mourning the loss of loved ones, of work, of income, of events, of celebrations, of weddings, of funerals, of health, of friendships. Heck, even just the ability to go to the movies, much less the ability to pay our rent. Jesus sees you right now. and comes to you with compassion. Because you too are harassed and helpless. But you have one who will be your shepherd, who leads with love, is committed to your liberation, and will love you with grace and truth on the road ahead, who shares his power of compassion with his followers so they will share it with others, who will put his money where his mouth is and go to the cross and recycle the violence of this world into forgiveness and mercy and say, come and follow me. Let's heal the world together with divine compassion.